Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk will be continuing our study in the book of Philippians. But before we get to that, I want to take this moment to invite you to come and to worship with us in person. We meet at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now, as I mentioned before, Pastor Kirk is beginning a new series in the book of Philippians, and we're in the second part of the first message as we learn about saints, shepherds, and servants from Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. Let's listen together. Last Sunday, we began our journey through the book of Philippians. We read those same two verses, and we got part of the way through them. I promise you we will deal with larger chunks of this book, so it won't take us through the millennial reign to get through this brief four-chapter Book, But it's important to lay a foundation here in what Paul has to say in these first two verses. I gave you a simple outline, uh, just three words uh, for this beginning part of Paul's letter. Background, beneficiaries, and blessing. We got part of the way through that last week. We talked about the origin of this church. You can read about that. In the book of Acts chapter 16, it's a very interesting story. Paul is on his second missionary journey. Uh, We'll not go back and rehearse uh, all of those things, but uh, uh, it's very interesting that he ended up in this place he had not intended on going. And there uh, we see the conversion of several people that make for a very unusual new church plant certainly would not measure up to all the church growth experts of how to start a church today. Uh, But God began this church, and we talked about the occasion of Paul's writing. He is writing this letter from a Roman prison, and it's about 10 years after the birth of the church. And we talked last time Uh, about uh, not only that background, the origin of the church, the occasion of the letter, but we talked about uh, the people to whom it was addressed, what we might say are the uh, beneficiaries of this letter or the recipients. And they are specified in the second half of verse 1. He addresses this letter to saints, to overseers, and to deacons. And we gave those Uh, a little bit of a different uh, name or title, not to change the truth of God's Word, uh, but to alliterate those uh, three different groups of people. And we reversed the order in how we looked at them. Uh, The deacons are, are also known as servants. That's what the word means. So he addresses this letter to servants, deacons in that church, to the overseers, that's a, one of the three words in the New Testament for pastor. Uh, we refer to them as shepherds. That's another one of those words. There are three different words for one office of pastor. And it's always in the New Testament in the plural. God never intended for churches to be led by one pastor. 
It's always in the plural, whether the Lord uses the word elders or overseers or pastor shepherds, uh, but he's addressing uh, this letter not only to the servants, the deacons, but also to the pastors, the shepherds of the church. And we got to that third word, uh, that word saints. He's addressing this letter to the saints who are at Philippi. Now, if you remember, uh, we talked about what a saint is and what a saint is not, according to Scripture. And we considered, first of all, and we'll go back and kind of walk through this very briefly uh, and get to the rest of the message. It's important that we nail this down and that we know what a saint is not. <coughs> Excuse me. And the first thing that we had to say, I believe it'll be on the screen today, uh, is that a saint is not some special classification of Christian. In other words, it's not somebody that has been designated or sainted or has achieved the um, uh, degree of holiness that they are now sainthood uh, as some uh, religious organizations teach. For instance, the Catholic Church has a whole list of saints. They have been determined to be saints. You have to be dead to be a saint. In some cases, you had to uh, be martyred uh, for the cause of Christ, or you had to have some miracle that was attributed to your influence, your prayers, your work on earth, and you had to go through some process that a pope or uh, some religious uh, hierarchy uh, determined uh, that you achieve the level of sainthood. Now, I want to say to you that there is nothing in the Bible that... that uh, uh, quantifies that, nothing in the Bible that describes that, nothing in the Bible that gives any directions for that. That is, that is a church tradition. That is a, a man-made institution or idea. You don't find any, even inspiration or inclination for that anywhere in God's Word. Okay, so a saint is not some special super Christian. Uh, secondly, it's not an especially holy or saintly believer that is still living. Sometimes we use that expression uh, that so-and-so, and it's usually a she, right? She is a real saint. Meaning that, uh, that she just is a, such a godly person, such a great example. You may have someone in your family that in your mind, oh, you know, it, they're just like a saint to me. Uh, or someone that you knew in church uh, growing up. Someone that was especially uh, close to the Lord, it would appear uh, from looking, looking from the outside in. But again, the Bible doesn't give any kind of uh, qualifications for that. No kind of description for anything like that. And third, for all the football fans, we had to go ahead and be sure you understand that when we talk about saints here in the book of Philippians and in the Bible, it's not talking about some member of the NFL football team in New Orleans. Okay? 
We're not talking about the saints uh, down there uh, in, in New Orleans. Uh, so what is a saint? What is a saint according to the word? Now we got to here last week and uh, we didn't go any further because uh, the hour was getting late and uh, what we uh, are going to get into now is very important to understand. Okay, so I hope you'll really tune in with me and um, I want to draw your attention uh, to the fact that the Bible uses the word saint or saints more than 80 times in Scripture. So it is a term, it's used not only in the New, predominantly in the New Testament, but it's mentioned also in the Old Testament. You can read in the Psalms where the Bible refers to his saints. And understand that it's always with the exception of one time. It is always used in the plural. Never is it used in the singular. Only once do you find saint in the singular. And by the way, it is found here in this very letter to the Philippians. And it's found in chapter 4 where Paul is giving his closing remarks. He is beginning to get to the close of his letter. And he says in verse 21 of Philippians 4, greet every saint, singular, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you. And you can see even from that one time that it's in the singular, that it is something that is talking about plural, every saint in the church. He's basically saying, be sure that every individual believer gets a greeting from Timothy and me. And so saints is always, always plural. Never do we have the Bible singling out a single person for some special standing called sainthood. So what does it mean? And I want you to know that it is a term that is referring to every person who has been redeemed by the grace of God. It's speaking of every person who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's referring to every person who is a true Christian, who has been born again. Every person in this congregation that's been saved by the grace of God is a saint today. And it is entirely proper, though probably will not become a common practice, for us to refer to one another as saints. It is every bit as fitting as brother or sister. It is every bit as appropriate as any other word describing the people of God. If you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by scripture alone, for God's glory alone, you are a saint. Are we all good so far? Not just even if you've been asleep. Okay, thank you. Now, what is a saint? How does the Bible talk about saints? How does the Bible talk about saints? Well, we could begin to run the verses for all 80 plus times, but we don't have time for that. 
Let me draw your attention to just one verse. And in fact, this verse doesn't even use the word saints, but it's talking about saints. And the verse, I think we'll put it on the screen, I think we have it, is found in that little book that, that uh, is written by a man named Jude. This Jude is a half-brother of Jesus Christ, okay? And he writes a tiny little letter, just one chapter long. And in the first verse, this is how he begins the letter. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who were called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And we'll pause the reading right there. I want to draw your attention to three words that describe saints. Three words that describe you. First of all, saints have been called. They have been called. They have heard the voice of God. Oh, not with the ear, not a literal voice like perhaps you are hearing mine this morning, but they heard the voice of God. They heard the voice of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit called to them through the Word of God, through the preaching of the Word, through the reading of the Word, through hearing the truth of God and the, and the joyous invitation of the gospel, there has been created deep inside them a holy unrest, a sense of need, a sense of longing, a sense of, of not, not having experienced or known everything that can satisfy the soul. There is a God consciousness inside every person, a seeking for something beyond themselves. And then when they hear the gospel and the truth of God comes to them, all of a sudden that longing and that unrest becomes acute. And they are hearing the voice and the calling of God. I remember hearing the calling of God for the first time in, in my life when I was nine years of age and I responded to the invitation of the gospel. Now, I remember being in church before that many times, especially with my grandparents. I can remember being about four or five years old. This memory just popped into mind uh, just now. As my grandparents and I uh, loaded up in my grandpa's old pickup truck and we went to a revival meeting outside Mountain View, Arkansas in a little country church. And that was back in the day when, when everybody went to revivals because, I mean, after all, I mean, that was even before the days of Andy Griffith and Gunsmoke on TV. And there was nothing to stay home and do. It was a social event. And I remember, as it was back in those days, as people came to this little church out in the country, and the men who were not believers would bring their wives who were saints, literally, for living with some of those reprobates. And so they would bring their wives to church and those men would stand around outside and roll cigarettes and talk until the service was over. 
Uh, but those who came for the preaching, who came for the revival service, went inside. And, and there was an evangelist. I remember his look. I, I remember uh, that, he, that he preached long and loud and hard. And people went to the altar and prayed, and, and some people were saved. And at the end of the service, he, he said something very unusual, at least something I'd never heard, not really much since. He said, if you're not sure about what you've heard tonight, uh, but, but you want me to just remember you in prayer, and you want the work of God to begin in your life, to begin to do a work of showing you what it means to be saved, feel free to come up and just shake my hand after the service. And I can remember my grandpa saying, do you want to go up there and shake his hand? And I said, yes. And I went up there and the evangelist was busy talking to, to another grown-up and I stood there. And I started just a little guy and I stood there and my grandpa just laughed and laughed. Finally, I reached up and took him by the pants leg and, and tugged on that evangelist's pants leg to get his attention. And he looked down, and I just held up my hand to shake hands with him. Not having a clue that perhaps, perhaps that was the beginning of God's work in my life of calling me to himself that culminated that night of a different revival, not in a little country church, but a city church where I heard the gospel preached uh, and I went forward and received Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, the evangelist that night uh, was an evangelist that would later become my wife's pastor and would marry us a number of years later. You've heard the call of God. This is what the Bible says about that. Listen to Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, and he says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all who are called to be saints. Later on in chapter 8, beginning with verse 28, a very beloved verse to those of us who are saints. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called, there it is again, according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now listen to verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We have been called, we have been justified, we have been cleansed of our sins, we have been glorified, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one ever comes to God until they hear the call of God. So saints are called according to Jude 1 and Romans 1 and 8 and many other places. But notice that second word in Jude 1. It's the word beloved. 
are loved, loved of God, loved in God the Father. Folks, saints are loved by the Lord. And that's what he said back in that first verse in, or that verse in, in verse 7 of Romans 1. Those that are loved by God and called by God. God loves you. God loves you. And because he loves you, he has called you. You are the beloved. God the Father has chosen. It's not because you're so lovable. Listen, I know some of you. Some of you are not very lovable at all. And I'm never lovable. It's my spiritual gift to be unlovable. That doesn't make sense, does it? Some of us are not very lovable. And when you look at our sin, how in the world could anyone love us? Our sin sent the Father's Son to the cross to be brutally murdered. Our sin did that. Your sin did that. But the Father was willing to do that because He loves you. He was willing to send His beloved Son, His only begotten Son, to the cross in order to show His love for you and in order to show it to you. Hear these words from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What manner of love is this? It is so unearthly. It is so heavenly that God in his mercy and in his grace and in his kindness chose to love you and me and call us to be his. Notice the third word, kept. We have been called, we have been loved by God the Father, and we are kept. And we're kept for someone. We are kept for Jesus Christ. We are kept by Jesus Christ, but we are also kept for Jesus Christ. There is coming someday a great culmination of all things. When the saints of God, the people of God, the bride of Christ are going to be presented to the Son. And God the Father is keeping us for that day. He is not letting you fall away. He is hanging on to you to watch over you protectively, to shield you, to preserve you, 
to keep guard over you. That's what he's doing right now. He is keeping you in keeping with the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. Jesus said, my sheep or my saints hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Why? We are kept. We are in the hand of Jesus, and around the hand of Jesus is the hand of God the Father. We are preserved, watched over, guarded, loved, kept for that day. And again, from Romans chapter 8, he talks about death and all kinds of other things. And he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Saints are called, loved, and kept. That's what it means to be a saint. So these are the beneficiaries. These are the recipients of this letter to a church in Philippi. There are the deacons, the servants. There are the overseers, the shepherds, the pastors. And there are all the others, all the saints that made up that congregation. People who were called, who were loved by God, and who are kept by God, and who are in the presence of God today. But they are not the only beneficiaries of this letter. You and I have to number ourselves among those people as well. For this has been deemed a portion of the inspired, inerrant Word of God for us today. And this letter comes down to us some 2,000 years later, and it is still fresh. It is still new. It is still just as meaningful. It is still just as focused on you and me as it was those saints living 2,000 years ago. And so we are numbered among the saints, and he is about to speak a blessing to us, and this is verse 2, grace and peace be unto you. The, the grace and the peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessing. Paul writes some 13 letters in the New Testament. Every single one of them, no exceptions, every single letter Paul writes, begins with that blessing. Grace and peace be unto you. That is a blessing on this church and to this church 
today. Grace and peace be unto you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. These words are, in spoke, are uh, inspired and, uh, to the Apostle Paul and spoken by the Apostle Paul to them and to us. Why did Paul use this same greeting? Every single time he wrote a letter. And let me say to you, the order is important. He never one time says peace and grace. It is always grace and peace. And there's a reason for that. It's very important. And I guarantee you that its importance and its value is much bigger than anyone here might think this morning. You say, well, it would be just the same, peace and grace. No, it wouldn't be the same. It would be theologically incorrect to say peace and grace. Every other religion of the world says peace and grace in their theology. But Paul says, and Christianity says, God says grace and peace. Now, before I explain that, let me just say to you this, very much on the surface, grace was the common uh, Greek expression uh, to uh, Gentile believers. It's the word charis, grace to you. Peace is the Hebrew salutation, shalom. Jews to this day greet one another with shalom. And this church had Jews and Gentiles in it. And so you have a greeting that speaks to the hearts of both. It is grace and peace. And the peace that the Jews had sought after for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and never experienced could not be experienced until the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ came along and made it possible. Grace and peace. It's more than just a polite greeting. Taken together and spoken in the right order, these words give to us insight. Listen to me now. I'm going to make a bold statement. I don't want to lose you on it. They give to us insight into the mystery of the universe. These two words, grace and peace, spoken in the right order, tells us where all creation is heading. It tells us how it will get there. And it tells us how we are to live along the way and in the meantime. Okay, what do you mean by that? Where is the world headed? I ask you that question. Where is this world headed? And I know what some of you are thinking right now. To hell in a handbasket. That's where it's headed. 
You look around us, and boy, it sure looks that way, doesn't it? It sure looks that way. Our culture, our world that we have known is going downhill so fast, and it's picking up speed every single day. It's not just a matter of, of saying to the old folks here, of which I'm one of, so I'm not pointing fingers, okay, that 50 years ago we would have never dreamed this world would be where it is today. I'm going to say to you, five years ago you wouldn't have dreamed it. That's how fast it is changing. So I guess when you answer that question, where is this world headed? I guess it depends on whom you ask. Have you ever heard the name of Bertrand Russell? I know some of you have. He was born in the latter half of the 1800s. He lived until 1970. He lived uh, almost 100 years. And he was a British mathematician, but really known more as a philosopher, essayist, uh, social critic, and author. Bertrand Russell wrote many books and many essays, including one that was entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. Well, you can tell where he's coming from. Bertrand Russell was very influential and still is influential today in social, political, and moral issues. If you were to ask Bertrand Russell, Mr. Russell where is the world heading? He would say this, and this is a quote directly from him. All the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspirations, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. It's all going to die. It's all going to pass away. And I want to tell you, that idea and that philosophy has been repeated in so many ways down through the years, even in our lifetime. You remember Y2K? The whole world was going to come apart at the seams when we turned to the year 2000. It wasn't really a blip on the radar. It wasn't but a few decades ago in a time of, uh, of lower global temperatures that it was said that the United States would no longer be able to produce wheat or grow produce. It's going to get so cold, we're heading towards an inevitable ice age. Well, now, wait a minute. No, we're not. The ice caps are melting. Global warming is going to kill us all. And so now our government is doing everything to try to control our lives, to take our, you know, our gas stoves away from us and our, our gas-powered engines and everything else because we're going to kill ourselves. Global warming is going to bring an end to this world. We're all doomed! According to Russell, death is the universe's destiny. Well, the Bible has an answer for that and has an explanation for it. 
The Bible says that, yes, this world seems to be falling apart in disarray, not coming together in harmony. This world is fraying at the seams, but the reason it is cosmically and personally is because of sin, S-I-N, inside you and inside me. But the Bible also has not only a diagnosis of the problem, it has a remedy for that problem. That sin and the need of sin that is ripping our lives apart at the seams, that, that sin is taken care of by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed on the cross for you and me that we sang about just a little while ago. There is power in the blood. And guess what? Creation is not moving towards chaos and death. This world is not doomed. Creation, according to the Word of God, is moving towards peace. The Bible says, in the end, guess what? God wins. In the end, we find not the fraying of the universe and of our solar system and of our world, but we find every frayed in mended and brought back together and made completely new in Christ. So how in the world does this world that seems to be declining every day our culture that seems to be declining every day, how in the world do we get to that place called peace? And it's the first word in Paul's greeting that he uses every time. Grace and peace. For it is only through grace that we can experience the peace of God. Grace is God's disposition of kindness and favor towards the world. God doesn't hate this world that he created. He hates the sin in it. He hates what sin has done to people. But he loves this world. And he loves you. And he has a plan for this world and for this human race. And he has a plan for this universe. And it is to be ultimately the full expression of what he created it to be in the very beginning. It is grace that is moving us towards peace. This grace brings peace with God. It brings peace with each other. And it brings peace throughout creation. Grace, then peace. Not peace, then grace. You see, all the other religions in the world operate in the reverse. They say, peace, then grace. Gain peace with God, or gods, or whatever supernatural force you believe in. Gain peace with your gods through some behaviors, through some rules, through some rituals. And if you do that for long enough and perfect enough, then you can secure your God's favor towards you. And guess what? 
Many people who call themselves Christians are trying the same thing. Many Christian denominations teach salvation through your good works. If you'll keep the Ten Commandments, if you will live by, by the Sermon on the Mount, if you will do more good for other people than evil in your life, if you try to be good, if you are uh, just a model citizen, then surely God will never turn you away or reject you uh, entering into heaven. They're saying, find peace through your efforts, through your work, through whatever you do that then you can experience God's favor, God's smile, then you can have God's grace. But folks, you can't do that. Nobody can. There's only been one human being in the history of this world, in the history of the universe, that was good enough in his life and living, the way he thought, the way he spoke, the way that he treated people, there's only one person so pure within and without to have the Father's favor. And that was his beloved son who came to this world to die in our place. The idea that you and I can attain some kind of peace, some kind of nirvana or whatever, and find God's favor. That doesn't work for Christianity. It doesn't work for anybody. It misses the heart of the Christian faith. His grace, as it sinks in deeply into our lives, is the only way we find peace in life. You know what? A lot of people who have been saved by the grace of God are missing God's peace because though they trusted His grace and trusted His salvation and gave their heart and life to Christ, somewhere along the way they didn't continue on with God living and growing. That's why Paul tells us repeatedly, now that you have been saved by the grace of God, now Grow in grace. Grow in grace. You see, grace is not just God's way of mending what's wrong in this world. Grace is the way God calls us to live. If you read the book of Ephesians, Ephesians just builds chapter after chapter for six chapters how this grace of God makes our lives different, how it brings believers to unity with each other, to purity in the way that we live, and ultimately to victory in our Christian lives. It is learning to live in grace and by grace. It is grace, then peace. Paul is talking to individual Christians. He says this is the way to live. And this is God's pattern for the universe. Bertrand Russell and his ilk, I don't know how they greeted one another when they wrote letters. 
They anticipated a devastating unraveling and destruction of the universe. All I know is they must have greeted each other when they wrote their letters, not grace and peace, but chaos and doom. For that's what they believed in. And my friends, apart from Christ, that's all you have. Chaos and doom. Paul's greeting is a declaration of hope. It is telling us, it is declaring where the universe is going. It is describing how it will get there through peace or through grace. It describes how we ought to live in the meantime. So I ask you, as I did last Sunday, in closing this message today, are you a saint? Are you a saint? I'm not asking you about how good you are. I'm not asking you if you are a model or upstanding citizen or member of the church. I'm asking you, have you been saved by the grace of God? Are you truly born again? Not trusting your good works, not trusting your baptism, not trusting even just an empty profession of faith declaring that you are a Christian. But are you truly born again? Have you been changed by the grace of God? Have you heard the call of God to be free from your sin and shame? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior and repented of your sin? Is your life different today because of God's grace? Are you trusting His grace and sacrifice alone as your only hope of eternal life? If so, you have peace of heart. If you have not done that, Will you surrender your life? Will you surrender and submit your life to him today? Will you confess your sin to him? Will you claim the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ who gave his life on Calvary's cross for you? Will you ask him to be your Lord and Savior? Will you trust him as your only hope of eternal life today? Father, thank you for the power and the truth of your word. Thank you that we can know grace and peace. Please impress upon us that we will never, ever in this life, no matter how hard we work for it, to achieve it, that we will never find peace apart from your grace. Thank you for your favor shown to us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us, for calling us, for keeping us. And may we live from that place of grace in such a way that will help draw others to you. Be glorified in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.